If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode of Mind Pump, wow, we get to uh, interview... What a great one of the Mount Rushmores of mobility. Great, I said it. Mine, this uh, you know, a lot of the information that I share, uh, when in regards to like hip mobility, because this is where I went, and he was one of the few guys I found on YouTube given really good uh information in regards to mobility. So he's kind of like the godfather of. Band, band distractions, distractions and, yeah, resurrected and it or created it, think, it or, yeah. and yeah, just mobility work period on YouTube. He's yeah. one of the first YouTube guys to start showing mobility. Yeah, stuff. if you haven't guessed by now, we're talking about Kelly Starrett. Uh, this guy is ex- very, very well respected uh, in the fitness world for his work and contributions to just mobility, functional flexibility, movement. Um, he's he has a huge influence on the world of CrossFit. In that particular regard as well, and we talk about that. We talk about his how he started in in fitness, and what his passions are. And he's not a hard person to, to interview. Uh, you kind of <laughs> give him the mic. Oh man, he and, lights it on fire, and he goes for he it. Just goes. Uh, his book, uh, "Becoming a Supple Leopard," is one of the. I mean, it's like if you want to learn about uh, mobility and flexibility, this is one of the cornerstones. This is like one of the books you should absolutely have. In fact, when I walk into a you know a, a movement specialist office. If I don't see this book, I'm always like wondering how yeah. good are they because it's it's mm. like one of those and it's like one of those Bibles right. uh, in that regard. Um, you can find his website is Mobility Wad. So Mobility W O D dot com. Again, I mentioned his book, Becoming a Supple Leopard. Speaking of mobility, yeah. If you are coming over from the Kelly Start family and just tuning into Mind Pump. You definitely need to look into our Maps Prime and Prime Pro, which is those programs were specifically designed to teach you how to individualize your priming sessions. So, like what you do before your workouts, that'll maximize your your CNS recruitment, your muscle re, you know muscle uh, recruitment patterns, your performance, your results. Uh, we also have Prime Pro in that bundle, which is a correctional program that focuses on. The neck, the shoulders, the shoulder blades. But it really simplifies the process like crazy. That's why we put the most effort into it. Well, you think of, you know, Kelly is one of, you know, one of the many uh, brilliant minds that we pulled from to actually create this. So a lot of his readings and videos and stuff that we learn. Oh, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Right. For sure. Absolutely. So this, so if, you know, if you're somebody who appreciates a lot of that, you'll also appreciate because we've also combined things like animal flow, some some kin stretch type of stuff. There's a lot of different. Uh, modalities and different types of oh, teachings. if you if you have pain or you just want to move better, I mean, again, you know, like I, I was saying, the neck, the shoulder, shoulder blades, the wrists, the hands, the feet, the ankles, uh, the hips. I mean, the lumbar spine. We go into all of them, and we design it in a way to where you could go in there, do the assessment, and then identify what you need work on. And believe it or not, sometimes you have pain in one area, like your knee. But it's not your knee that's the problem. It's your hip or your ankle. Mm. Um, and uh, Maps Prime and Prime Pro will help you identify those. You can find those two programs at mindpumpmedia.com. And without any further ado, here we are talking to the great Kelly Starrett. I grew up in Germany. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, shit. No. How old were you when you came here? 15. You, oh, okay. You speak German fluently then, huh? Uh, well, you know, I speak German well enough to find the train station and flirt up a girl. I don't think uh, I could discuss Goethe. Which all that matters. Politics. Yeah. So yes, I'm fluent. Yeah. <laughs> right. but, all right. Technical German. I was just teaching in Munich. Um, 
just like a month ago, we were out there working, and German is the greatest language. So I have a, I have this, I have a good accent. I sound like I grew up in Germany, right? And people are like, "Wow, you're German." And then I, I left when I was like 13, 14, and that's when my vocabulary stopped. So I sound like a really dumb German who just doesn't have anything interesting to say. But German is the greatest language where you can take. Like here's here's a word you guys appreciate. The word for nipple <laughs> is Brustwarze, which means breast wart. Right? So, <laughs> oh my God. if you have two so words, accurate. you yeah. can put them together and create any new word. And uh, I was working with the, 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 some guys from the German national hockey team, and I was trying to explain, hey, we, what we need to see in this plank is that when you're recruiting your glutes, I want to, you know, what I'm looking for. And I was like, Oshklam, which Klam is the German word for gorge. So it's like ass gorge. And, and, and they were like, yeah, Oshklam, get yeah, it. Yeah, okay, it makes sense. You know? And so like, yeah. it's really, I wish, I mean, if we had that level of precision, no one would ever get confused in the United States. We would just be clear it's about what we meant. It's got two niceties. That's right. German's yeah. one of those languages, like you've got languages like Italian and French, great for romance and stuff like that. But if you're pissed off and you want to scare the shit out of someone, German. Germans yeah, I don't know. It's it works for me, yeah. but it really did. Uh-huh. When I go, like we, when I teach in Paris or France, people are like Kelly, don't try. Because now <laughs> I sound like an American who speaks German. Trying to, it's terrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, grew, I grew up in Europe. Excellent. Right. So, what got you into the world you work in now? I want to know what started that all off for you. Oh man. Well, um, have you guys seen the Usain Bolt documentary? No, I haven't. It's really I just watched his last race that he lost, though. Well, fair enough. Fair I enough. mean, he killed it for fucking 10 years. I mean, whatever, right? Right. So. Well, and, you know, I mean, yeah, right. He, he's he's amazing. He, but he's such a likable athlete, and he's such a good human being. But he talks about, um, I'm not, I'm not going to make this comparison, but he says, hey, if you were great, you were always great. No one becomes great later on. Like, you're just, in, in a lot of athletic talent, people merge very quickly and very early, Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's like, you just, someone just doesn't show up in the scene, you know, and just like, Hey, I'm here. I have known about my obsession about mechanics since I was like conscious. <laughs> I mean, like I really? remember, yeah, I was, I was at a ski racing camp in Austria as a little kid. Did you just say you're the Usain Bolt of mechanics? Nah, I was, I was, I, I, I like, hey, your words, not mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was great the way you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird association. Yeah. The issue is that, um, you know, I have thought this way about my own training and the way, you know, picked, I had a really good coach, really good technical coaches, but this is the thing that I've always done. And I knew that I was really good at picking up patterns. Like that's my secret, secret skill. Like I have better pattern recognition than anyone else. So so I'm like, you show me, let me watch something for a while. And all of a sudden I can start to see how it works and what's going on underneath it. And that's how I solve problems as an athlete and how, you know, it allowed me to hack things like, you know, math tests and right, you know, Mm -hmm. really useful skills. But apply when I finally figured out that this was it, applying that pattern recognition to my love of technical aspects and the fact that I have have one of the highest desires to train on the planet. Like we do even do the genetics around it. I'm the 98th percentile for want to move, want to train, want to exercise, want to, want to go nerd out. Mm. So it, it really is. I fell into this thing. The universe came around with YouTube and the sort of advent of modern strength and conditioning. And then also I was a failed athlete. I was injured athlete and that ended my, sort of, you know, aspirations to be a high-level paddler. And all of that confluence ends up here. And it's expressed in the things that I do every day because I like it. Like, there's no edge to 
the friends I hang out with or the people, things we talk about professionally or what I do for work or how I train with my wife. I mean, it is the same, same aspect of the same thing. When did you start to harness that though? Was it when you got injured in sports? I mean, you recognized it early, but when did you start to like feed into that? When did you? Well, I think, uh, you know, when I was, I was paddling at high level, um, race, ski racing in the same, you know, you, you, you inherit. So you, at some point you inherit some old system, right? Like, you know, we all, one of the things we're always trying to remind people of is that someone comes from somewhere. So if they don't know something, it's not their fault. It's the fault of the system that they were in. So if there's a deficit in someone's training or they didn't know how to eat, it's not, it's not because they're assholes and they don't know how to eat. It's because no one ever showed them this is what human beings do and this is how we eat, right? And, mm. and we have this, con- this, this reframing that I think is, is conceptually important because it's easy to poke like, you know, what, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're, what, what is all this kind of wasting around? Well, people, I think, are working at the limits of their understanding. And so we, it's it's important to frame that you know people have, are coming from somewhere. So when I came through, you know, training, there was some good strength and conditioning associated with skiing. There was some good you know training with the national team. And so you inherit, and it might not be the best system, but you get a little bit of that. And early on, we recognized, I think maybe because we just weren't the most talented, natural, or hadn't been doing it the longest, that we had to outwork everyone. So our little our little secret card was we were fitter, we were stronger, we put in more reps, we did more volume. Like that was what we knew would get us there because we just weren't the freaks. We weren't freaks. Mm. We were just mid-level athletes, you know, who got to play at the big game, but we weren't ever going to go the, the distance. And so in order to play there, and then that, you know, in the, wor- it's, the world has changed <laughs> radically. I mean, do you guys remember Donald Chu? He was from Stanford. He wrote some of the first books on plyometrics. Do you remember mm. this? Well, he had, a, he had a book that was like the size of like eight by 10 flashcards. And it was about medicine ball plyometrics. And literally it was like he drew stick figures and like the stick figure would bend to the side. <laughs> and you would try to interpret that oh, around man. like exercising, you know? And, and uh, I got that oh. book. I don't know how I found it, but I was like, you know, and I said to my, my best friend uh, who I was training with on the national team, medicine balls and I asked my grand I asked my girlfriend's parents like what do you want for Christmas I'm like medicine balls so they buy me an 18 pound medicine ball I'm like all right that's the one I guess everyone has an 18 pound medicine ball and uh you know Jim Colley is rolling over in the grade from Dynamax and uh literally um we went to the gym and we opened it up page one and just tried to interpret that and we did that for a while and kind of got bored and then worked our way through like 60 pages of this medicine ball thing trying to figure it out like sets, reps, volume, rest we did it until we blew out and how old are you at this point? what, what point in your life is 22 this? 22 21, 22 and literally we were we had rhabdo we were crippled mm. we couldn't sneeze oh, he was so pissed at me like we didn't paddle for three days and you know just because we didn't know but yeah. that was that was the early seekings you know we knew that we needed to eat better we called up metrics cold metrics and we're like hey (laughs) like (laughs) how about us and they sent us shakes and those 100 gram bars you know we lived on the big 100s and their protein shake and I was like good enough for Troy Dallas Cowboys do hell right you know (laughs) and uh, like we that was our attempts at trying to do the right thing you know I remember sitting down with like reigning Olympic gold medalists and being like why are you having a plate of pancakes before like you know, this race today is like, because I like pancakes, you know, and I've always had pancakes. And I'm like, holy, like the bar is really low. And now, I mean, my, my 12 year old daughter is more sophisticated about training, nutrition, right. sleep and recovery than I was. There's been it's a huge revolution. Amazing how much we've evolved. Yeah. Oh, a huge revolution relatively recently in training. I've been in professionally in fitness in big box gyms. So like that, you know, 
24 Fitness, Gold's Gym, those type of facilities for a long time as, as in management. And I saw, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how different it is even in those gyms. I mean, when I was managing health clubs, you know, 20 years ago, the squat racks had a sh- dust. Like nobody did barbell squats. Nobody did deadlifts. Barely anybody did a standing overhead press. It was seated. Yeah. And it was very limited range of motion. And then and, along came CrossFit, right? Yeah, yeah, that changed it quite a bit. But it was really a lot of the information that we got was through the magazines, which were then designed to sell supplements and bodybuilding was Dude, where we got a lot of muscular development was my magazine. Right? Yes. Like my, my wife would literally be like, could you sit over there when you read that? Because I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, literally, she'd be like, there's a guy on the cover. looks like a big vein cock. <laughs> yes. And I'd be like, right, right. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And then it had all the research in there. And I was like, wow, this, look yeah. at this research. Muscle media 2000 was mine. Cause I would real crazy. We used to call that mu- muscle and fiction. Remember that yeah. muscle, yeah. muscle and fitness was muscle and fiction is what uh, we used to call and it. The, but then you had this accurate. huge influx of great information that came from the fall the Soviet Union. You had all these scientists come yeah. over and um, that's when you really got to see science applied without, you know, these sponsors or whatever to see kind of some just interesting information's changed. Have you seen bit. have you seen the TED Talk? Great TED Talk. Uh God, we've talked about this on the show before a long time ago that totally just shattered my paradigm. I w- I would be the first to admit that even all my years in experience in the fitness world I would have attributed a major uh, reason for seeing the growth or the uh, evolution of sports due to anabolic steroids. Like uh, when I used to see an athlete now, and if you compare LeBron James to the bat, you know Larry Bird back in the days, I would have said, "Oh, it's because of all the anabolics all the and the PEDs, things." Yeah. But there's a great uh, TED talk that actually breaks down that really it's uh, the science and how much we've evolved in nutrition and training and the the shoes that you wear, the courts that they run on, the the pools that they're swimming in the, the all the different things that we've added that of shaving all these all this time off and making the athlete better it's crazy how fast that's evolved in the last 15 20 years they even talk about the democratization of sports where athletes are so specialized now you know like a it wasn't that long ago in the olympics where all the athletes kind of looked similar and now if you're a shot putter you look like a shot putter if you're a sprinter you look like a sprinter and uh people look like they're they're born for their positions and then on top of that you have all this advanced training and it's just continuing to accelerate. It seems like mechanics uh, and mobility now is the big uh, is the big thing now. That's mm-hmm, what you're hearing mm-hmm. a lot of. Um, and uh, obviously, you've written some incredible books. Supple Leopard was one of my absolute favorites. Um, I mean, groundbreaking for me at least when I first saw it, because at the time there really wasn't much information on that. What brought you to to that point? What made you want to write something like that? <laughs> well. I wanted to give up my weekends. I didn't want to, <laughs> didn't want to hang out with my kids. Uh, oh, you know, man. look, the, if, if anyone has written a book, uh, you write it because you have to write it. And you also write it because you need to put a stake in the sand and say, this is what I believe. And, and it's a way, way of scaling. So, you know, and, and the YouTube video is vital. And I think we've seen a confluence of so Soviet Union training practice, si- sports science really evolve. I think it's easy to forget that we have been – People have been really strong for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and you know, people have been running fast for a long time and jumping fast for a long time. And even when you when you when you amortize or remove some of the technology, what you see is that there were really extraordinary humans for for as long. There just weren't as many of them, right? And they weren't training as consistently. And uh, you know, <clears throat> what is uh, you know the mountain walked with that log on his back? Remember, he took like the oh, yeah. five thousand pound log and he walked three steps, and the old record was two steps. That was set eleven hundred years ago. I'm like, really? Like that's what we get. <laughs> <laughs> There's like one step one more, <laughs> one, you know, and, and that's extraordinary. But you know, yeah. and the guy was crippled afterwards, and then now the mountain goes on and is a TV star. But um, 
you know, CrossFit, but at the same time, Pavel was doing his thing. Dan John was doing his thing. You know, the, there are so many, the bodybuilding has become so sophisticated. And, but you're, you're right. You know, what's interesting is um, there is that, that notion uh, that there, you can shortcut your way. Have you guys seen the, the documentary Icarus? It just came out. No. So it's, it's a, this guy who was a, an amateur cyclist. Um, and he, I read about this. He had in his brain, Chris Bell put it up. That's how we became aware of it. Mm. And, and he had in his brain that somehow he could have been elite, but he missed his window from an accident. Right. And again, remember you were great. You were always great. So he was never great, but thought he has brain. And then Strava tells us that the internet tells us that. Right, we think now. Well, I can lift weights, and I'm so good. And look what I did in my garage. And we're like, uh huh, mm, that's <laughs> cute. Well, like the, the, my ding on the modern fitness and strength conditioning culture is that we have made this really egalitarian statement that, like, if you work hard enough, you too can be a champion. Oh god, and oh. that is total horseshit. Everybody gets it's just not. It's not. I'm glad you call that out right now. <laughs> it is. It is not the case. And once you've been around real, real mutants, you're like, oh, right. you're a mutant. Yeah. And to your point around something that's changed is that we're seeing that people's training age is more sophisticated longer. So that mm. may be good and bad. I think sometimes we're losing athleticism. Sometimes we're losing capacities because our old model was, look, play as much as you want. Just play a lot of different sports. Like we were obsessed. We turned everything into a game. We turned everything into a competition and we did everything we could possibly do off label. You know what I mean? Like, well, let's set it on fire and then see what happens. And, um, we came through models where in one year we did 17 sports, you know, you know, we just played and played and played. And for athletic development, we said to kids like that was enough. Then later on, maybe you lifted some weights or got some formal training. But I'm seeing all of that generation, my age, I'm in my 40s. All of those guys now are having their knee replaced. They're herniated their discs, right? They, they're having, you know, um, Chris Davenport, one of the greatest skiers ever, just had a hemi knee replacement. And that's because he came out of the system that said, just play a lot. Right. But now we have the other thing, which is that these kids are just doing this hyper specialization, sagittal movements. We only go up and down, forward and back. Right. They don't actually can't throw a ball or or calculate or surf or, you know, put inputs in that actually make us athletes like Olympic lifting is great. It makes you powerful and balanced and it's a movement practice, but it doesn't develop your ability to catch a ball or plan ahead or read a defense. No, that's, that's something that comes from a lot of different play. But now we're seeing that the environment has changed underneath us. We are doing way more sedentary behavior. We're, you know, we're engaged in things that look like a lot less movement. We do a lot less play, a lot more kind of formal socialization. And now that we have to go to the weight room earlier because we're not getting it on this other side. Mm -hmm. So I think the pendulum has swung this other way that kids aren't enriched enough, right? Mm -hmm. They're specializing early and they're becoming hyper-specialized. And, you know, and even, even some of the CrossFit kids, we're seeing these kids have amazing work capacities. Their positions are incredible. Does that translate? Because we have to ask ourselves, why are we training in the first place? What's the best way to develop this, this athleticism? And it turns out mechanics was such a low lying, you know, bowl of fruit. Like, you know, we were just tripping on people who were having problem after problem or not setting world records or, 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 and it was because they couldn't see the, their incomplete positioning. And there, there was no, there was such a gap between saying this is full physiologic capacity and this is how you're moving. And that's why I think this stepped in and, and really ignited this idea. I mean, before, so as a physical therapist, classically trained, we say we mobilize a joint, mobilize a tissue, right? 
Eric Cressy made a made a DVD called Magnificent Mobility, which is like a dynamic warm up thing. A long time ago, that's the only other reference to mobility before we got on the game and started saying mobility. And now, if I could take that word back, it's like it's like become the word core, or uh, extreme. Or well, we, we we talk every about functional movement. Deals with oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Every deals it's with that. Unfo- it happens in everything yeah. in fitness, though. You know that we take it, we take it, and then we go to the extreme with, with paleo it, and, and all these other. We kind were the of terms, we were the first right? wad ever. I was like, I'm so clever. I am so clever. <laughs> and the first one, this is brilliant. And then now there's like ever there's like gluten wad, and like it's uh. so and now. So now my <laughs> business wad? is called like stretching of the day. I'm just like, oh man, I, just, <laughs> I, I have the lamest name ever. And uh, mind pump. Just wait, wait till my. <laughs> So you said something about uh, that I want to go back to. You said that uh, this could be good, this could be bad. And I want to elaborate on this because I think you're an excellent person to have this discussion and you've got my mind thinking right now. So uh, we've talked to, uh, we've had the uh, ability to talk to millions, or not millions, tons of great minds in in this field. Yeah, millions, not millions, tons of great minds in this field and mobility specialists and movement specialists. And one of the things that uh, I never really thought about until getting a chance to talk to a lot of these great minds was, you know, sometimes when we see these these athletes that just because they're super badass at their sport, they have as much, if not more, dysfunction than somebody who's never even played a sport at all. And so if you have these kids that are starting at even earlier ages, is there a fear of could we also be uh, starting to cement bad patterns or cause uh, even more problems because just because they're playing the sport at an early age doesn't necessarily mean that they're moving properly and could that actually be setting them up for even worse? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so specialization aside, right? So let's when we hear specialization, think Tommy John surgery, right? Like I, I've overused a kid somehow, you know, like this kid got through high school swimming Three shoulder surgery is never going to swim again. I'm like, okay, now that's classic. When when you hear specialization, be thinking we've injured children, but now let's say what is you know what's specialization in a way where we're not developing athletes. So now there's been two or three high level football coaches who say we don't recruit unless kids play more than one sport. Mm. It's a ding against the kid. Oh, and don't nice. get me wrong, I, I, I'm like, oh, really? So if I show up with my six-foot-three, seven-foot, you know, seven you know, <laughs> 400-pound yeah. daughter who you're can clean turn nine hundred, like, you're like, yeah, she only did one sport. <laughs> but as a, as a, I really think that there are, they're looking at, you know, your ability to change patterns, to be able, you know, even in my daughter's, my 12-year-old who plays club volleyball, which is just, <clears throat> it's so great because, you know, Sometimes people think that, you know, I'm in a garage making this shit up and I'm not like I am a user working and helping working coaches solve their problems. And at this point, what's cool is that I get to see everyone's dirty laundry. You know, I'll be hanging out with uh, the Blue Jays on, you know, day after tomorrow. Right. And uh, we've been working with that team for years and trying to support and not trying to change your team trying to help them solve the problems of being modern athletes. So, you know, how do we manage sleep better when you're on the road? How can we get kids warmed up more effectively? How can we, what's a faster way to clean up this mechanic, right? So that's, we do that a lot across a lot of different fields. But the same thing applies to how do I get kids to eat right in between volleyball matches, right? And uh, it's so good because, you know, trying to get parents on board, you can see how, 
there's this like beautiful theoretical construct of how we all should eat and you know and the kids are like scavenging for offal in between <laughs> yeah. in between rounds you know and meanwhile their mom is like giving them you know caffeinated cliff blocks after like you know a match and I'm like uh, your heart rate, daughter's heart rate didn't go up over 130 you know like why is she eating a sugar block because she's gonna you know I mean literally it's it's the worst I go around and take photos of what these teams are feeding their kids and it's just poison it's processed poison mm. from the vegetable oils to like the high, you know the bagels I'm like what what are we what kind of meshes are we sending then what we see is that these kids who have gotten really good at volleyball at age 12 and I'm, by the way I'm like no one wins the world championship at age 12 like you just you don't know we can start to see who is the best athlete mm-hmm. in the room but you're just 12 and then those kids come to my house and train and they can't throw a medicine ball they can't swing a bat they can't jump and land. They can't, you know what I mean? And we start to see that, wow, they can swing from the outside with their left hand, and they're really good at that, but they've been sitting in the front row doing this one hyper skill, and they are not good human beings. Wow. So we need to struggle to make generalists all the time, and out of that generalist, we will always get the specialist when they're ready. You mm, know what I mean? Because you right. can do that. Mm. But the, and we all want to do, we all want to, you know, short, you know, shortcut, specialize, specialize, specialize. Even some of the, the elite level, you know, cyclists we've worked with, they're like, Hey, look, I, I'm not squatting now because, you know, I don't want to get big. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, okay, that's fine. Let's squat to make your hips work. And I'm like, ride this week. Don't do any swings or squats. Now ride this week and you swing and squats. And they're like, my power went through the roof. What happened? I was like, well, there's this thing called your hip. And when you know how to work your hip, when it works. Generates a lot of power. uh, All of a sudden you start turning those switches back on. And that's where we need to think. And and struggling because it's not, we, we didn't end up here by accident. We fetishize professional sports. We, that's going to implicate how we think about collegiate sports and because collegiate sport is a professional sporting endeavor. So if you want your kids to play at college, you basically are saying to your family, I want my kid to be a professional athlete at age 19. That's what that means in terms of load demands, travel, et cetera, et cetera. Look at, I mean, everyone who's written about the collegiate sport machine, but of course that impacts high school. And if you look at what's going on, we basically have high school level professional athletes in terms of the training volumes they do and no off time. And, you know, and, and it is a self-perpetuating thing. So at some point we have to, we, we're going to have to culturally, and it's going to be led by the strength and conditioning coaches to say, look, we're going to train you around. Yes, that's what we do. That's what human beings do. But we're going to have to make sure your kid is not doing the same little tiny window moving pattern. And we have to develop, continue striving to develop good athletes. And that means athleticism. And that means not just squatting the barbell up and down, which is a sport, which is fine. But the traps in there are, are manifest. So that if you think that you know powerlifting is the way, then everything goes through that nail and suddenly you're like, well, if I turn my feet out to squat to depth and I'm teaching kids to squat to depth by turning their feet out, when that kid tears her ACL because her foot was turned out and she cut land, that's my fault as a coach. So we need to be thinking a little bit differently about saying, what can we learn from the bodybuilders around weight reduction and caloric restriction in our, on our weights, in our sports that we have weight classes? What can we learn about our endurance athletes about best practice around develop aerobic engine? How can we take our Olympic lifting and say, this is great Olympic lifting for sport and really cobble together a program that makes really stable, competent athletes who can be a lifetime because people are burning out in their 20s and 30s or injured in their 20s and 30s, 40s, and that's not, that's not it. God damn, I love that you said all that, especially in regards to training children because once they get, I think people don't realize, especially once you're an adult and you're a high-performing athlete as an adult and you've been training a, you know, a certain way for so long, you've become so 
uh, so adapted good at cheating. and so good at compensating. Like, yeah. what do you do with that, Kelly? Let me ask you that. What do you do with? I'm a 23 year old, 24 year old professional athlete. I've got you know fucked up biomechanics, but I'm really good at my sport. Um, that's just the way I move. I've been moving this well. well like, welcome to my job. Right. So. You know, I always kid that I'm going to see you for a couple of reasons. One, that you're injured and don't want to be injured and come see me. We're going to we're going to talk about it. Two, you're losing. You don't want to lose. You're going to come see me because you can't. You don't have your swing. You don't have your pitch. You know, something's going on. So we make it a a, a matter of like you know status. You know, it's it's a it's a line saying that we don't address an athlete's mechanics. I don't teach you how to throw the ball. That's not my job. I don't teach you how to kick or you know jump. That's not my job. My job is to optimize and find out where you're dumping torque and compensating. And I use a correlate system, and that correlate system is strength and conditioning, right? <clears throat> so when we organize Supple Leopard, it's organized around these archetypal positions. They are fundamental start positions and finish positions for the shoulder and the hip. And they express as the end range, the full language, the full vocabulary of that. And so if, you, if you're, you know, your front squat like this guy, you've got your hands up by your neck and your front squatting, you, you don't have the right shoulder mechanics, which means you never get your lat on, which means we're going to see problems when you throw the, the, the rugby ball in at the half, right? The way you bench is going to be, we can start to see a lot of these things. And, and we're clever enough to also respect that there have been a lot of really good coaches for a long time and we need to interpret their work. So when, when the master coach says something like, you know, I like the bench press, it ties the arms to the body. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> I agree. What does that mean? Well, what it really meant was kids who could bench press could create highly stable shoulders and didn't have problems when they're out in front, right? Because they had, in order to bench heavy, you have to learn how to break the bar. You have to learn how to spread the bar. You have to create a, a stable shoulder approximately. So we can, we can then say, okay, well, what are, what are the root positions we all should be able to have? And it turns out that is the working language of strength conditioning. So whether you're a kettlebellista or you're Olympic lift, whether you do yoga, whether you do, you're in Pilates, you're going to see that the hip is the hip and the shoulder is the shoulder and the spine is the spine and breathing is breathing. And it's remained so for the last 10,000 years. It hasn't changed at all. Now, how do you train these athletes and, and create some of these new patterns Without compromising just that. their we, technique, because we, we don't talk about technique, okay. we talk about squatting, and the athlete is smart enough to be able to do it. So we don't. So literally, we'll get emails and letters. Hey, this athlete was so prepared. So that's a false paradigm, then that you correct something that's going to throw your technique. No, off. no. Okay. Especially when we are failing to realize that when coach, good, excellent coach, I'm talking about world class, best coaches, are teaching the techniques that best express the physiology. So it's not an accident that we throw a certain way because we're all obsessed with throwing really far, doing it in a certain way. And what you'll see is it's rare do we run into a coach, and usually they're a young coach, who doesn't see that their coaching ultimately is expressing a certain position of the physiology, right? It's because the shoulder works better in this position and everyone knows it. So when we do certain things with our bodies, it's ultimately about getting the physiology into a position where it can express the most force, right? That's what good coaching is doing. You know, you're javelin, you turn the thumb down, right? Before you pull and you pull all the way through. Well, it turns out when you turn the hand down and you pull all the way through, the shoulder's in a stable position. Mm. The coach might not know that, but they knew that when they turned the thumb down, they had a good finish position they could get good power right mm -hmm. so what you're going to see is that all of the techniques that have come through our movement traditions our movement histories right ultimately are expressions of good technical movement 
So when you give the athlete normal technical movement capacity, then they're just able to express it because it's what the technique is doing. So it's not like we do the splits and then I just hope it magically works, mm-hmm. right? Do a bunch of foam rolling and then pow, you got better. Well, that no, that doesn't work, right? What does work is saying, hey, we're going to reinforce this position. We think that all of the mobilization, soft tissue work, all those techniques we're doing, we call those position transfer exercises. Why do we give a shit about that? Because it's about improving your ability to get into these fundamental positions, which express how the ankle becomes stable, which expresses how the knee is more stable, which makes the hip work better. And so when we sidestep the the conversations about what's the technique that you're using with your coach, A, we don't step on some coach's dick, right? And get into mm-hmm. some power battle as the coach, because that's really important. I was just going to ask you. Our job is to support the coach. Mm-hmm. My job is to help that athlete be ready to receive that the coaching from the coach, right? So they can do what the coach says. And, and there, there's conversations about which way you should step and how, you know, in the NFL, we'll see that. But when my athletes can generate stability in all these positions, then at least they can do what the coach asked them to do. And so what we do is we reinforce fundamental mechanics. This is why bench pressing will never screw up. Bench pressing well or pressing overhead well will never mess up someone's throwing mechanics because it's actually teaching them how to be stable. It's mm-hmm. teaching them how to be in good positions. And then when you restore someone's internal rotation, it turns out that they can punch harder or they can throw more effectively. And that's where we're, we can use our correlate movement language of strength conditioning to under to find the problems that you really have a difficulty seeing mm-hmm. at speed. And, and, and don't take my word for it. I work with the All Blacks. I work. I mean, the number of teams we work with where we haven't fucked up a whole bunch of teams because we're just stretching mm-hmm. and pulling on shit, it's because we're helping athletes get into more functional positions, which are the expressions of what the coach is asking to do in the first place. And if you drop into any good coach, master coaches are really good at doing a billion drills to work around a problem. And so the first time I saw this, you know, I was down with Mike Bergner down in Southern California, and he was my original weightlifting coach. And... I saw, I remember working for him. I would, and this is probably another conversation about young coaches not hustling. But my wife and I, you know, I had a baby in a gym and I was in grad school, and I would fly down on Friday night to go work for free for Coach Bergner. I would just, can I be in the same room as you for two days and like carry your barbell around, sir? You know, and, and I hustled and scrimmed, sat on my friend's couch, and I did that weeks so that I could be in the same room listening to a master coach coach over and over again, try to understand what he was teaching. And what I remember one day, I was like, I'm in physical therapy school. I'm watching this master coach coach. And he had 50,000 skill transfer exercises to get something done. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to ever learn 50,000 drills for this sport and 50,000 drills for swimming and 50,000 drills for running? And then I realized I didn't need to. If my athletes could get in the positions, I needed five skill transfer exercises. Mm. And so our job is to continue to simplify mechanical literacy so that when the coach asks for something, the athlete can do it right away the first time. Did wow. You, did you ever yeah. get pushback when you first did this? Because uh, no, I, we, we help people break world records. That's how, that's, that's how we got it. Like people got into a better position and they went faster. And right away. Like, what is that? <laughs> you know, what, what'd you do? And you I'm like, something. we worked on their squatting. And what I didn't let them do was compensate while squatting, which is the thing we've got to do. And, and that's the problem with the internet or the problem with we you know, if we're only using the bar as the, the weight on the bar or the speed, to say this is a good position or bad position. And I came out of that tradition. We did something and there was a clock and we went faster. The coach was like, do that again. You went faster. And we're like, I don't know what I did. All right, mm-hmm. let's do it again. And then we kind of, you know, no conversation about how mechanics carried speed and technique, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
who is it? Uh, when I worked with some of there's a there's a pretty elite military group. I'll just say you've heard of them. And one of their training modules is they never say go faster. When they teach close quarter combat, they never say to the person coming through training, go faster. Speed will automatically be there when the mechanics are solid. Mm. So they're like, don't make any mistakes. If you go in and the person will automatically start to push that boundary. But the cue from the coach is never go faster. Mm-hmm. Right? The cue for the coach is, hey, hey, look at your foot position. What's be going on? Where's your awareness? Be better. Yeah. And then the speed starts to come. And I think that's really where it's important to understand why this conversation it's about sustainability and about output. And we don't talk about, and we should probably talk less about do this because you might get injured. You may or may not, right? You may be able to bench like a chicken your whole life and never have shoulder problems. Right. But what I can say is, Hey, when you bench like a chicken, you're not benching as much as you could bench. When you sit in that position, you can't take a full breath. Well, let's talk about that. Cause we talked a lot about athletes right now. We went that direction, but let's talk because since our average listener is probably somebody who just wants to build some muscle, wants to lose some weight how important is the the priming of getting ready for a workout how, how would you how would you speak to that for the average person that's trying to just lose body fat or build some muscle how important is it for them to set their body up before they go into their gym well you know first and foremost you know if you're thinking about your training cycle as the hour and you're in the gym you've got it wrong you know and you know i think we, we've fallen into some category where you know Remember that Baz Luhrmann song, like, don't read the girly magazines, they'll only make you feel ugly. Remember, <laughs> that was from, like, Wear Sunscreen? Yeah. Well, welcome to fucking Instagram. Yeah. Instagram <laughs> makes me feel like I'm a shitty athlete who's totally lazy all the time. Like, I don't, I've done meal prep. <laughs> no, I'm, you know, I just haven't. I've, I haven't been to over 500 this oh week. Oh, my yeah. God, you know, and I don't have abs and I'm not tan and you I can't. can't jump out of the pool. I'm, yeah, that's right. Damn like, it. I'm like, yeah. uh, that is what my Instagram feed is. It's full of, like, curated superheroes. <laughs> and totally. I'm like, you know, and we, and we see this up and down. And there's a good article I forget that basically Instagram is is changing our concept of beauty and really Completely. and really it's not good for us we, like you suddenly are like you know my, my I guess my training partners aren't that strong <laughs> you know I'm like they're your fucking training partners oh, like, <laughs> no I don't know and um, I'm gonna work out man. my wife isn't that hot or you know my kids aren't that smart you know and but you know, we even saw this a long time ago with uh, we had this friend. Here's here's gonna just show that I'm like a middle aged sensitive guy now. Um, Sunset Magazine, right? Which oh, is shit. just about Calif- <laughs> California living. We had a friend who she was like always comparing herself to Sunset Magazine, and she was just like she's like you know I'm just a failure as a homemaker. And I was like, yeah, look at look at your fucking. I'm like, look at your topiary giraffe. It sucks, you know. And um, I don't know where that came from. And um, you know, she stopped subscribing to this magazine because it it messed her up. And I think we have lost what's going on around you know beauty capacity. You know, you know, we just we we lost that. I don't remember what the original question. Well, no, it's going back to priming for a workout, right? How important you're talking about the hour people looking up. So the, the way we want to s- simplify is I want people to do less. I want to integrate practices so you get your life back. Mm. If you're doing meal prep instead of reading the New York Times, you know, eh, I mean, is there a way where we can streamline this to give you your life back so that fitnessing isn't a 24-7 obsession? You know, where, you know, what we want to do is if we see where I'm doing all my reading these days isn't like a lot in complexity theory. And what we're seeing is that the human being is such a complex 
re- system. And that there will, it's really difficult for us to make head or tails of all the complex inputs and the complexity within the system. So you do this intermittent fasting, but then it turns out you worked out really hard and then you're undercalorated and so you eat at 11 o'clock at night because you're starving and then you get up at six and have your first bulletproof coffee. You only just fasted for seven hours. Like, is that, is that right? You know, is that, excuse me, is that, is that your intention? You know, so how can we create practices that really allow the sort of that the training is a part of the physical practice, right? But the physical practice is the way I think about and conceptualize the day. So, you know, whether that may mean eating vegetables or drinking water or trying to move more or, or take care of my sleep. I mean, we could have a whole show and I'm sure you guys have about sleep. Like people are like, I'm going on drugs. I'm like, that's great. How much did you sleep last night? Mm. And I'm like, good. You just canceled it out. So now you're as, you're like as mortal as everyone else. And you keep shoving that testosterone in your ass because that five hours of sleep, it's totally fine. It just, it's a, it's a you know, canceling effect. And so what we want to do is say, how, how can we simplify so that when the magic hour comes and I've done the miraculous heroic thing of getting to the gym, that I'm not laying on the ground foam rolling, right? I'm not doing a bunch of corrective exercises that I'm making forward progress. Well, that means I may need to conceptualize my day a little differently. So for example, yes, the research shows that maybe doing some targeted foam rolling can help you with range of motion, but that's not what people do in the gym. You know, so if you have an hour, I want you jumping rope and playing games and warming up and getting under the barbell and practicing skills and doing gymnastics, then squatting heavy, right? Instead of, I'm going to come to the gym and sit on the bike for two minutes and then lay on the ground and roll for two minutes. And then, like, you're not doing anything there, right? The gym should be this intense time. Where do I do the soft tissue work, Kelly? In the 10 minutes before you go to the bedroom. So in that last 10 minutes, for example, nothing good is happening in your life, right? You're not in the bedroom yet, so nothing good is happening. You're on <laughs> Facebook. Say, for yourself, yeah. man. I, okay, living room. I have kids, so it's the bedroom, right? <laughs> so the idea, though, is, you know, we're not seeing that, hey, if I put that 10 minutes of soft tissue working before I go to bedroom, then I could get off social media or I can be on social media watching the TV, doing something else, working on a discrete time where I can take the information of the day and say, hey, my quads are really tight or my hips were tight today or I went overhead and you know, or something hurts and use that as a diagnostic tool. Treat that for 10 or 12 minutes of some t- soft tissue work. And by the way, when you do the soft tissue work before you go to bed, you'll sleep better mm-hmm. and you'll sleep denser. You'll fall asleep faster. Well, it's, it's uh, parasympathetic. It's there CNS, you go. It's CNS dampening, which right. is what you want. So now we've integrated, I've respected your time a little bit more at the gym gym, right? And now I've also slept better and I've also done some soft tissue work, which is done the day before my next day of training. Mm -hmm. And so what Mm -hmm. I think is much more effective is find a program that you like, right? Where you're making gains, you know, because we laugh, Matt Vincent and I laugh about this all the time. You know, people are like, yeah, you know, I PR by 40 pounds on this cycle on my bench press. I'm like, wow, that's impressive, you know? And they're like, I'm going to change programs though, because you know, this program is better. I'm like, you just made a huge gain. Like, what are you doing? Like when it stops working, you know, work it one more time and then, you know, then, then go. And so, um, you know, find a program you like in the gym, make sure that if it's about losing fat, that you don't get sucked into not conditioning. You know, you, even if you are a big, badass strength athlete, you have the right to need to be able to run a mile all out. And if you can't do that, you know, you have, you're going to have some cardiovascular problems, right? And you, you could probably work harder in the gym. You can do more sets and recover more quickly. And, fasted car I don't care what it is but like if you're telling me you can't swing kettlebells and and do some sled drags for five minutes after a hard you know deadlift session you're really out of shape and you're using this as an excuse you know Mm. like that guy in my gym who puts on the weight vest so he can be last in the workouts right (laughs) like the same thing (laughs) but if you're interested in this 
what you're thinking is, hey, I'm going to lift heavy weights. It takes some preparation. So if I've been sitting all day, not drinking water all day, I'm not fueled, I haven't done these soft tissue work the night before, what are the chances that I'm going to be able to snatch heavy right. or do any of the compound movements we know are required for the best upregulation in the CNS, exactly. in the neurocrine and axis? You know, we have to tr treat that training very, very seriously. It's a huge shift in mentality because we just had this conversation before we got here. We recorded a previous episode. And, you know, we've, we've talked about many times of how running uh, outside, how the average person going outside and running is one of the more damaging things that people can do. But it's not the running necessarily. It's because of the mentality. People aren't going outside to run to learn how to run better. They're going outside to run to fatigue. That's their metric. Their metric is, I'm just going to get tired. I'm going to go run until I get tired, which means that they're just strengthening these horrible patterns because they never run. So then they go outside and they go run and they create these bad patterns. And oh, they just and, or remember... That person doesn't know any other way. That's because right. The, yeah. the internet and the world has said, if you want to get fit, go run. That's right. what I mean. So, I, so it's, right, I don't doesn't need a coach. It's free. I can go run. And we saw that same problem with uh, some of the early days of CrossFit, where people were going in, and it was about fatigue, just going there and hammering myself. You see that with regular gym workouts, and I think the shift in mentality is. Rather than going in to beat yourself up and just get sore and tired, because that's not what we attribute a good workout to, let's treat it like a practice. Like I'm going there to oh. learn this. Oh, heresy! You just you just shut your little whore mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying that that human being like is a skill based thing? So let's put the skill back in here. So like, you know, at my gym, right? We've owned San Francisco CrossFit now in our twelfth year. We have seen everything. We've had more world champions and world record holders and Olympic champ. And we have a lot of people that come through that gym who are very serious. And George St. Pierre trains at our gym, right? I so CrossFit, Schmossfit, right? Uh -huh. The idea though is I still run a conditioning class. Tuesdays and Thursdays, 9.30 a.m. Anyone's open. You want to come to town and condition with me? And it's called skilled conditioning. And what I, the, the central tenet that runs through that is, hey, we're going to breathe hard today, but only as a way to challenge your positioning. And if you can't hold your position, you suck. God damn, I'm wow. so glad and, you said And that. literally, I'm like, look, if you just want to go breathe, bleed through the eyes, go to SoulCycle. It will crush <laughs> you. That one pound pink dumbbell for a million reps, oh, plus yeah. the cycle. Like, I'm telling Jazzer you, you, size is a you won't, yes, yeah. you won't be able to keep up. So today we had a really fit athlete who could not maintain position. Feet were collapsing, ankles in, right? And I saw it in kettlebell swings. I saw it in the step-ups we were doing. I saw it in the rowing, right? And I'm like, hey, look, every single time you flex your hip, your knee comes in and your arch collapses, that's compensation. So you may never for a while be limited by your lungs. Some of you, right? Some of us are. Mm -hmm. Some of us are just fat and old. But sometimes you're only limited by your ability to maintain a position, we know you can grind on because that is testing and that is competition. And that's the real world. There's times where, look, if we're having a world champion of the world and I'm deadlifting for the, the love of a beautiful woman. You, you might see some rounding when it gets really heavy and I'm super fatigued, right? Because, but if I'm training it, so we start to have this conversation. Why are we training? What are we doing here? And especially in that conditioning, because we take, because I'll tell you, watch people lift. You're seeing pretty good movement. Like, the sophistication of the CrossFit coach, I'll take over any Bally's coach, any 24 hour fitness, like oh, yeah, yeah. really sophisticated, hardcore coaches. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to find, unless you're like training with DeFranco, it may be hard to find that, you know, that genius coach. But what I'll, what I'll tell you is that it's all of the 
throwaway bullshit conditioning boot camp stuff that's causing the epidemic of problems where the metric is intensity. That's it. Orange theory. How, you you, you weren't been, even in the orange theory today. You weren't an orange, you know, you, like you suck. You must have You must have been, I mean, how was that entering into, because you said you've had your CrossFit gym for 12, 12 years. years. Yeah, let's talk, about, that like let's talk you, about the uh, the business brain of yours because I know yeah. for sure, because I've, li- I've listened, I've read some of your stuff. I'm sure. I yeah. know. I know you saw CrossFit and you didn't go like, oh, this is awesome. I know you saw it and saw the opportunity to come in and help it and fix it. Is that no. how you got involved? No, uh, uh, not at all. I came in as a national champion, you know, member of the national team, superstar athlete who got his ass kicked oh. on basic skills. Like the world has changed radically. Do you remember? I mean, Pavel wrote in a book, must have been like 13 or 14 years ago, the, the kettlebell snatch test. There's 100 kettlebell snatches for time. Mm. And some really good UFC fighter was like, that almost kills me. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and like my daughter now uses that as a finisher. She's like, five minutes, that was good, right, Dad? I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. You're 12, <laughs> right? You know, and, uh, and that's how the world has changed. So I came in and realized that I wasn't strong, wasn't skilled, wasn't fit. I had big deficits in my ability to Olympic lift. I didn't know anything about gymnastics. Brian McKenzie taught me how to run. You know, I had I had heel pain, I had knee pain every time I jogged. You know, every time I jogged, so I didn't run because I I didn't know how to run. So there were just massive deficits. You know, I remember I was working with Jim Schmitz and and so you know I was Olympic lifting before I found CrossFit. I was working with Jim Schmitz in, in South San Francisco, who was a former Olympic coach. And um, I, you know, he had me do some testing. I'm like, I'm like, I cleaned 225. Suck it. Like, I'm like, I'm here, you know? And he was like, wow, can you do that for me? And he was like, what? You know, and it was sucked. And, um, you know, I, I had such gaping holes. The You know, infinitely, I got my ass kicked by a couple workouts. And at the same time, I discovered that I wasn't fit or strong or, or, or skilled. I was in physical therapy school. And I was trying really hard to reconcile what I had learned as an athlete, as a failed athlete who got injured with what I was seeing from Dan John, who was involved with CrossFit early on, talking about basic barbell training, Mike Bergner, some of the gymnastics skills, you know, Coach Summer, and then what I looked like as a physical therapist. And I was really like, I was like, oh, this, these straight art, you know, short arc quad straight leg raises really, that's not how we train for the Olympics. So I'm so confused with now. And I really struggled to integrate these concepts. And it's so obvious now, but it's not obvious. Like when you take a band and distract your hip, you know, that's me working out, trying to take all of the techniques that I learned as a physio and needed a physio and teaching myself how to do it to myself, right? That's what the band work is. So if you've ever mm-hmm. seen a band, I invented that, right? I'm yeah. not saying Dick Herzl didn't invent the jump stretch man. He pulled I was going to ask out, you about that. Right? Like, yeah, if you Dick Herzl is the man, right? Okay. He invented the jump stretch mans, but he was not distracting the No, you were the first person to see I've ever seen yeah, do all the, the first, band yeah. distractions. Right? Sure. Because... I was trying to mobilize the capsule the same way I did as a physical therapist hmm. saying that, Hey, look, oh, you know, it's got a scale, you know, like yeah. the first time I did a rib screw on, you know, cause when I came to physio school, for example, no one was mobilizing for position. We mobilized for pain. You just, like, maybe you flagpole on the bar, you hang a little bit, right? You do some ground stuff, some animal flow, yeah. right? But like, you know, no one ever said, well, I have a soft tissue restriction. Let me fix that so I can go do it better. And I remember working with Eva Tordokin, who was an Olympic skier and then was actually a, is a, like a national medalist in Olympic lifting. And she was having a hard time getting overhead one day. And I was like, wait a second. And I was like... And I just mobilized her T-spine. And then she was like, wow, what was that? And I was like, I don't know, but that was fucking awesome. <laughs> you know? And I remember I had a UFC fighter in the, the gym for something or in, in, the, in the physical therapy clinic for something. He was talking about his guard, 
you work on his guard and I mobilized his hips to get into better guard. And then he was like, man, I was wrapping my face, my toes around his face and I just crushed him. And he's like, what did you do to that guard? And I was like, I just gave your hip its normal range of motion. And that's how I started mobilizing for position because that wasn't taught or wasn't even part of the lexicon, right? So when I came to CrossFit, then started seeing the volumes of people exercising, but who did not have all the range of motion standards that I was learning. I was like, what is going on here? Like you can do 40 pull-ups, but you can't actually hold two dumbbells over your head and you can't put your arms over your head without bending your elbow. Right. And then four months later, you're like, you're my shoulder hurts. And I was like, huh? is there a correlation <laughs> between these shitty overhead positions and high volume training and incomplete capacity and shoulder pain? Yeah, I wonder, let me test it. Well, I resolved their shoulder position, improved their shoulder mechanics, you know, and lo and behold, Shoulder gets better and then they do 50 pull-ups, right? So, you know, it came out of a necessity of solving the problems that I was seeing as a gym owner, but I also happened to be a physical therapist and I also happened to be around when they invented YouTube, which was really useful. Mm. Oh, wow. Wow. What what do you say about, so Chris CrossFit's changed quite a bit. Oh man, did you watch any of the games? Uh, I watched some of them. (laughs) Matt Frazier, watching these girls, like you, you know, remember the last time you snatched 300 and you got sixth place? Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, I'm like, and then you ran a 5k and then you did like, you know what I mean? What, what the, you know, when you're watching these, you know, everyone has become so technically proficient at the top and there's no, there's not very much crappy movement at the top Mm -hmm. because you're seeing you can't do it and win, which means we just learned the lessons that we, everyone else learned a long time ago, that it's always about mechanics and mechanical efficiency. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the world has changed on us radically for sure. Mm -hmm. And, and what I'll say is look at the early concepts of any movement and you're going to see poorly understood application. Greg Glassman, you know, he and I don't necessarily see eye to eye on everything, right? But what I'll tell you is that he never said, round your back when you deadlift. He just let, you know, he was like, here's your back. Keep it flat. Even in isometrics, so even when you fail, back is flat. And then everyone else is like, woohoo, because I'm, I'm, I'm crossfitting, right? It, I get to dis- disregard the, uh, the rules of science, mm. right? How do you train Olympic lifts to fatigue? Because that's like, I, 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 one of my issues with some of these workouts that I see is that you're doing these Olympic lifts and as soon as your fatigue form breaks down and Olympic lifts are so fucking technical like your well, form tends I, to go out, or is it just I, constant I, I, training I think it's constant training I think if you if you come to my gym you're going to see 400 people who squat their feet straight yeah. you know you're going to be like that's weird you know <laughs> and um, what you're going to see is that if you let people get away with slop and value only their time and who won dude I uh, we're going to win like, you know, if you and I have a pie eating contest, yeah. pie's going over my shoulder, pie's on my face, pie's on, you know, but I'm like, I ate more pie than you did, you know? And you're like, look at all the pie around. And I'm like, I won, mm-hmm. suck it. And it, so we, you know, who has said what gets measured gets managed, mm-hmm. what gets measured gets valued. And so it's difficult for us to say, you know, play the long game around this. And that's a culture. So if mm-hmm. you just turn the music up, you are a shitty coach. If you just turn the music up and stop coaching, like I like a little music. My wife and I always battle. I would like to coach to no music all the time. Right, just because I want my coaches to be able to. Well, hear you're it. a technical guy too. Uh, <laughs> right. But I'm coaching my ass off the whole time, and and when I I want everyone so a little music for theme, for feeling, but the other person on the side of the room can hear my coaching cues all the mm-hmm. time, right? And so, you know, if you don't, if you're not a fan of like snatching a barbell for 55 pounds, then you shouldn't be a fan of snatching a kettlebell for high reps. You shouldn't be a fan of high rep running. You shouldn't be a fan of high rep pull-ups. Like, oh, you did 10 pull-ups in a row, you know? So I think the key is good point. What are we you know, some of those movements, I think the real error is not that we're going to see more people get injured, 
but that we're, we're seeing cross purposes around the patterning. So that if my, I'm using Olympic lifting to teach stable shoulders and how to jump and you're pulling off of your toes without your heels and you're, and you're doing this high rep kind of aerobic lifting with a barbell and you're not seeing how that's going to disrupt when we go really heavy because practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And so you just did 70 reps at a shitty technique. What do you think is going to happen when it gets heavy? You're going to default to that shitty technique. And there's the conversation we should be having, right? Hmm. That I'm using load, rest, car respiratory demand, speed, metabolic demand, you know, all of those competition to, to create perturbations in the, the original status. Mm-hmm. And I can train that up and down. So you come in after like back surgery or knee surgery, man, I'm going to put you on the bike. I'm going to make you breathe hard. And then we're going to do box squats air box squats, right? And <laughs> what am I doing to make the box squats difficult? Make you breathe hard. So I have all of these ways that I can control volume and t- intensity and demand on the athlete. But if I, as a coach, can't see the compensation and the different patterns, here's a good example. Watch people jump rope. I'm like, good, your butt is squeezed, your toes are pointed, looking good, double under. And all of a sudden they look like a, a dolphin on acid, <laughs> right? A goat is like exploding. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is that? And they're like, I'm double undering now. And I'm like, so that's different than your jumping? Because I'm, I'm using jump roping to teach jumping and landing mechanics. And now you're valuing, does the rope go around twice as the only thing that's critical to the room? Oh, so check fucking it. it's brilliant. Such, it's set, you, you, here, but I got to stop you here, though. Are you winning or are you losing the battle when you talk at like at the the growth of CrossFit and the boxes that are opening oh, no, up? We're winning because because you know hurting athletes is a bad business model. Hmm. Going faster and helping PR is a great business. Agreed, model, right? And and people are sophisticated. The world has changed. You know, I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, you know, I, I watch Instagram and I see. I don't think anyone has a has a, a lock on good technique. You know what? The only thing we should be asking about well, is it, is it dumbbell bench press, or you know, are we benching twice today, or or this week, or once? You know, that's the only. You know, do we do we overload it? Are floor pressing? Those are the conversations we have as coaching. But you know, elbow flaring. You know, everyone is beginning to see. And if people can't see it, it's my fault because I haven't made it clear enough that that is leading down the road of lost capacity. Because. And I think as long as we say, hey, look, as long as you worked really hard and your, and your blood pressure dropped, you're healthier, right? As long as we use fitnessing or we, we call it fitnessing, right? Any high intensity exercise done without sort of, you know, homage to technique and mechanics is fitnessing. Like you just got fit and we said that that's enough or you got shredded, but your shoulders hurt. I'm sorry. You know I mean? Like you still, that's an error. So um, we're going to be a hundred years old. I think people are continuing to become very, very sophisticated. And if we haven't made it clear that jumping lane with your arches collapse is a problem, then that's a problem in this room and we will, we will get it solved. And it may take longer than we thought. Just treat it, just treat mm. it like a practice. I absolutely love that. It's mm. practice. I think, I think you, you got it right. Mm. You know, did, and who, who, I mean, I'm sure this has been as an analogy when you, you were in high school, which is the last time many of us ever competed, right? Just high school athletes are so elite, you know, when you're in your forties, you don't understand. And, um, you know, Glory did days. your did your ball your coaches throw a bunch of balls on the court? And was like, go for it, kids! It's scrimmage. <laughs> no, it wasn't a workout. It wasn't necessarily to work out. It was to learn how to play to get better. And we did we did lifting and conditioning so that we could do what play better. That's right, mm-hmm. right. That's so right. That, that's why we did that, right? That's right. And of course, my tendons were getting stronger and I was getting more powerful and da da da. But why it was all to support the sport. And what I one of the things that I think we I want people to keep doing is when was the last time you actually went outside and expressed your fitness? Because just like Olympic lifting or 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 barbell lifting can unduly influence the way we view training 
and that what we should be valuing is in terms of skills and positions and competencies. I think the same thing is happening in sort of fitnessing. We see a lot of programming done where it takes four hours to do your straight arm lever program or your gymnastics, right? And you literally, you haven't been outside, you haven't done a sport, but you can walk on handstand like a motherfucker, right? And meanwhile, I'm like, well, not a single one of the Olympic athletes I know can walk on their hands. So it doesn't seem to matter if you can walk on your hands or not, you know? And what we've done is we've once again, fetishized the gym and we've lost track of why we're there. Body composition is a reason to go to the gym. Totally. Getting stronger is a reason to go to the gym. Totally. Working on mechanics is a reason to go to the gym. Totally. So that you can do something else, right? Mm -hmm. Excellent. When you look at CrossFit as a whole, what are the things you love about it? And what are the things that you think could be better about it? Well, you know, I'll go on record as saying I am not an uh, emissary of CrossFit. I don't work for CrossFit. I license the name CrossFit from CrossFit for San Francisco CrossFit. That's the end. Mm -hmm. What I will tell you is that as an entree into a sophisticated, complex cogent strength conditioning program it's really hard to beat that was a mouthful that is <laughs> what i'll tell you at the highest levels of crossfit we're seeing really incredible capacities yami tikanen who is a he's any tory's daughter's coach he's put more people on the podium in the crossfit games than anyone else he's a finnish guy um he's a member of the mwat staff he's a he's an osteopath brilliant is the most sophisticated competent programming coach i've ever seen like he's, he's the most, he's the, he's the coach's coach, right? So if that is coming out of this and we're able to see what the limits of capacity are, oh, by the way, you can snatch 300 and do these other things. That's really, that tells us a lot, right? I think that leads breadcrumbs about what's possible, right? And then I think simultaneously though, I want to ask the question, if, if don't confuse excellence with CrossFit, with your ability to then go translate that to an actual sport. You have to go do the sport. You have to go outside and play. You need to learn fitness in a hundred words or less. Glassman's original, you know, manifesto about fitness was learn and play new sports. You know, do you do that? Do you go challenge? You have these skills that you're working on. Do you go challenge them? You know, and we hear those old, um, there's an old world record like hammer throw. And he's like, he said, the more I threw everything else, the better the hammer got, mm. you know, because his understanding, the fluency. So, to the extent that I think CrossFit was originally conceived as a really efficient way to work on all these skills and get you in and out of the gym. Remember that? 55 minutes, your testosterone spiked and you get out of the gym. Remember that? Yeah. Where the fuck did that go? <laughs> because now I, all I see is people spending two fucking hours in the gym every single day. I'm like, whoa. Well, you're like, you're in and out. You did your session, you got out. And we've lost that because the gym is really fun. And that's where my friends are. And I can like open up my paleo meal fridge and... Right. And like I can do my, my recovery boots there. And we've given every reason for people to hang out in the gym except for going out and finding out what your fitness is. Mm -hmm. So can you be an elite CrossFitter and do another sport? We don't we don't see that much. So we, we you've mentioned a few quite a few times, uh, you know, uh, movement biomechanics, but also just kind of like foundational move uh, positions or positioning you were talking about. How much of a role does uh, the individual variance play in that? And what I mean by that is... None. Zero. Okay, so a perfect squat should look the same for everybody? No, or, okay. it's based on principles, Okay, right? Oh, okay, very good. <laughs> right. Explain that, explain well, that. Well, I mean, so let's, let's take your arch, for example, right? Is it okay to slam, completely collapse your arch and ankle in the bottom of the squat? Yeah. It happens sometimes, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm practicing. My, my feet aren't going to explode, but it's not, it's not something we should re reproduce. So if the only way you can squat is to destroy the sanctity of your joint arch ankle support system, then I'm going to say, hey, there's something wrong with that. You know, I don't think I like that. I mean, you're telling me the only way you can squat is to have a radical lumbar reversal back and forth where you shear back and forth 
you know, three or four inches of total delta travel. You're talking about the tailbone tuck? uh, I'm talking about this is your lumbar spine and you shouldn't shear it back and forth. Your butt wink. With 500 pounds on it, right? And um, so there's something going on there. So are your femurs different than my femurs? Is your length of your pelvis? Yeah, but principles remain principles. So absolutely, timing will look different. Inclination of the torso will look different. Capacities look different. But otherwise... Let's take this language, let's take this conversation, and let's apply it to another thing. Does everyone throw slightly different? Does everyone swing the tennis racket slightly different? Does, if it was the case, we wouldn't be able to teach anyone anything. There would never be a technique to learn a skill, right? The shapes look differently ultimately because how people are expressing, their training, their history, what's going on. But, I mean, the size of your feet. But, you know, how is it that all of the swimmers swim the same way in the Olympics? Why is that? You know, the difference is the amount of reach that they have or maybe their their cadence, right? Some athletes turned out on the Tour de France were much lower cadence. Lance Armstrong had a cadence of like 110, right? That worked for his physiology. Did it change how his, his feet moved on the bike? No. So we want to make sure that when we're answering questions like that, let's let's take a beat and say, are there variations? Absolutely. Do I see them as a physical therapist? Totally. You have 27 lumbar segments. That's going to be tricky, right? Your femurs are four feet long. Okay. Let's give you some blocks. Let's, let's, get, let's get a look different when we squat, right? But we want to ask questions. Does this scale in this language? Does it apply? Is, does, this, does this statement hold true only in this situation? Because if it's a universalist statement, then it's probably going to hold true across all of these other skills. And it has to hold hold true of course all these other cohorts so does so turn your feet out slam your knees in great you're a chinese lifter fantastic going mm-hmm. for one one great so you're saying that i should teach my 12 year old to turn her feet out and slam her knees in no oh no only when she squats okay so if she jumps and lands she should anticipate how deep she's going to land oh but no this kettlebell swing no it's you know i mean you suddenly you start to get into this what if i have one leg you know and i'm and should i should turn my foot out when i do a pistol you know what i mean so the issue is oh no you bring your knees in just a little bit oh collapse your arch a little bit less so we want to say does this hold true across all sports? Does this hold, hold true across all cohorts? Does this hold true? And so suddenly you can start to, to kind of winnow down what this conversation is. Should there be variance in squat? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Why do some people pull sumo and some people pull conventional? Because their body mechanics, their geometry sets them up for better success in one of those lifts. Mm. What are uh, what are some of these foundational positions that you, what are the ones that you've identified that people need to be able to, to do or should or contribute to everything else? Well, you know, I want to leave it open. You need to basically take the body and force it to do what the body's supposed to do on a regular basis. It doesn't mean all the time, but a push-up, you know, is really just a way of keeping your torso stiff and managing shear through the spine and then showing me that you can be into a good front rack position, top of the push-up, top of the bench press, and express good mechanics in that press shape when that you're you're finishing that press. So really, it's not a push and a pull. It's what the heck is going on with the shoulder shapes, what's going on with the hip shapes, what's going on with the ankle shapes. So suddenly in that language, well, does rowing do the same thing? Well, yeah, I'm starting. It's the same position as my, as my push-up. I'm in a front rack shape, except that instead of the elbow bent, it's straight, and I finish in that press shape, right? What's a burpee look like? So what's a dip? So suddenly you we're changing some of the shapes, but you can now argue where should we be putting in certain movements? You know, do, so I should probably go from a hang shape to an overhead shape at some point. Why? Because this is a position I'm going to see when I swim. I go from a pull overhead to this hang shape, right? That's something we do, but also that's a kettlebell snatch, right? Going from this internally rotated hang shape to overhead. So as long as we think 
you're expressing, if you ask me to come and take a look at your programming, for example, hey, take a look at your program. What I'm going to do first is say, what positions aren't represented in your programming? If you never close the ankle all the way down to end range dorsiflexion in things like pistols or high step ups on boxes, I'm going to be able to see that and say, hey, look, here's this capacity that you're missing. Mm. A lot of different ways to train that. Let's not get into an argument about who's got the best soy sauce. Let's just say that you, you know, you're doing it or not. And, and ultimately, that's the, the conversation where that's the art of coaching. Where do I start layering in these complexity movements? So, you know, one of the things that we try to do is help people sift through this. So we categorize movements based on speed and sort of direction. <clears throat> so category one movements, for example, are the root language for every good strength conditioning program with its, with its weight and gold. I start from a stable position, I finish in another stable position and return to the start position, right? Bench press, strict pull-up, push-up deadlift, squat, handstand, push-up, right? You'll see that all of those things start stability and they're low speed. I'm not saying they're not powerful, but just compare the strict press to the push press. Oh, we started to add speed in there. Compare the push press to the jerk. Suddenly I have a change of direction vector where I go from open chain to closed chain to open chain again, right? And all of a sudden I'm starting to see more movement variability and error and high skill demand as I've added speed, as I've added you know, these, these direction changes and then complexity goes up. So, you know, mainly we, if you ask me to create a program for 12 year olds, it's going to look like someone who's never lifted before, right? It's going to be the same thing. Can you hip hinge? Can you squat? Can you pick something up off the ground? Can you put it over your head? Can you, can you control your back in space? And really that's what the programming should be striving to do. And then it's up to the coach or the community to say, these are the positions that we value. Mm. What's some of the common knowledge that you see now in, in fitness that you, you, you think is just bullshit. Like some of the stuff that people are saying like, oh, this is what you should always do before you work out or this is the best movement or are there, is there anything like that now that just rubs you wrong that you just, everybody considers true? I, uh, I'm going to be careful here. Yeah. You know, all fitness professionals are professional friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, in my Instagram feed recently, I saw um, Tia Claire Toomey who won the CrossFit Games who also is an Olympic lifter in the Olympics, right? She's not a bad athlete. She's a, she's a beast and she moves beautifully like, like clean 255 or something in like a clean, like just no big deal. Casual, full clean, you know? And then underneath it, I saw a skinny guy with a, with a, a bungee on a stick doing a lunge and like a twist. And I was like, that says it all. There's so much silly waste of time bullshit out in the world. Here's a girl who literally can clean 250 and run and swim and bike and climb and do all these other things. And here's a guy pretending to fitness with like, you know, five pounds of resistance on a stick doing rotations in a lunge on the beach. And I was like, how do I is. know? How do I know who you're talking about? I'm like, that <laughs> is the thing that's fucking killing me is that where we have sold people that things that look difficult, I believe it's hard, you know, but is that in fact real fitness or real capacity? And, and what you'll see, oh, but it's functional, man. <laughs> what you'll see is <laughs> as soon as you, you know, I'll take any one of my 12, like my daughter can deadlift, you know, I'm like, fuck yeah, of course she can deadlift. She has to pick shit up all the time, but you know, I'll take any athlete in any division one collegiate program over just because I know they're going to be, there's, they're going to, someone's teaching them how to sprint. Um, let me back up for a second. So Harry Mara is the greatest decathlon coach of all time. He's a, he's a good, he's a mate of ours, right? We've interviewed him. We're friends. Um, he, he, he literally has coached like more Olympic gold medals in the decathlon. And I'm like, Hey, Hey coach, what is it about the decathlon? That's so amazing. He's like, you have to run short and fast. You have to be able to jump. You have to be able to throw. What are the other questions? 
You know what I mean? Like those are the fundamentals. And he's like, if you train kids to be able to be competent to decathlete uh, on the decathlon, you would build these basic capacities as human beings. So are we doing that or not? Or have we fetishized fitness again and made it so complex? It's not that complex. I mean, and I appreciate someone like Dan John who says something like, pick it up, carry it around, put it over your head. Next question. You know? And then the, and there's a lot of variation and it's okay to mix it up and you know, and um it's okay to be have fun in the gym, right? But if you're not squatting, we're gonna have a problem. If you're not lifting something off the ground, hey, we don't deadlift, we 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 clean. Great, high pulse, great. I'm down, that's fine. You easier on your athletes, whatever. Um, you know, if you if you can't do a pull up, you probably have a hole in your fitness. Right. So I really appreciate that you're so fit, but you can't do a pull up. So, for example, one of the things I'm a huge fan of right now is the Spartan race. Right. So Amelia Boone is a, is a good family friend, mm. happened to be a world champion, super stud. And, you know, she's lean and looks like a runner. And then she can deadlift and squat and, and carry her weight, her carcass around and jump over walls. And you're like, oh, like that girl's, you know, has biased her training to be an aerobic, you know, greyhound, but she still has competence in all these things. Not only because it makes her fitter and stronger and faster, but you have to be able to manage all that stuff. And so let's at least establish some benchmarks of capacity. I don't care how much you deadlift. Do you deadlift? Yes or no. You mm-hmm. know? Right. And, and and if you don't deadlift, you, you swing a kettlebell. I'm like, great. Check the box. You're still good for me. You know, mm-hmm. I'd like you to deadlift a little more. <laughs> You know? I just think a lot of people don't realize that it's not going to take away because people get so stuck in their box that, like the bodybuilders, like, well, no, 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 I can't do, I can't do these yoga positions or I can't do these kettlebell stuff because I'm not going to build. Muscle I can't with deadlift because it's going to build my waist. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> they don't realize that that they all you can take a little bit of all of them and they will, not only will they contribute to you being well rounded, but they'll probably contribute to your specialization. As yeah, because well. Stan Efferding doesn't deadlift. Exactly. <laughs> right? That's all the Rhino does. You know, yeah. he's amazing. I mean, look, look at how I think, you know, I think we've we forget how strong, really strong people are, and that you know, like remember that old like bench press your body weight. Well, it wasn't bench press your body; it was strict press your body weight. That was the old one, yeah. right? How you doing? You know, um, a long time ago, I, I, Dan John is on the brain right now. But he's like overhead squat your body weight ten times, or overhead squat your body weight plus fifty pounds. Can you do that? Then shut the fuck up. Like you have work to do. And now I think that overhead squatting is the end all be all. Like I don't. I think overhead squatting is a is a skill transfer exercise for like warming up and for conditioning. You know, at some point if you're overhead squatting three hundred pounds, like we we have other issues, right? We should be heaving snatch balance and snatching and doing these other things. But if you can't do that at all, you know, it doesn't mean you're not gonna be an elite athlete. It just means hey, there's there's something some develop some capacities developed here, right? You know, and, uh, you know, I, I've talked to so many coaches, you know, even over here at Cal, one of the old strength coaches was saying, hey, look, I'll take a kid who can who can snatch 225, which is a very reasonable snatch for a uh, collegiate division one athlete, you know, over a kid who can, you know, half squat 500 pounds, you know, because of the athleticism and the coordination, oh, yeah. right? And the efficiency, and it takes time. So, you know, our job is to continue to help people sift through. You know, I, I remember uh, some interview with an old, like, Russian throws coach, and the guy's like, what should I do for conditioning? He's like, well, if you don't have a hill, I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like you need to go sprint up the hill. That was like, it's that simple. Yeah. You know, go push a sled. Go drag a sled. Do you feel, do you feel a little vomitous? Good, do, do one more, mm-hmm. right? And then tomorrow, do two more. And, and keep it simple. We can simplify way back, make progress, you know, but it, it is the compound movements. And I think... You know, you can say things like, well, we can do it this other way. But if you, we, we have to look at that, the original 
the thinking around the scientific method was induction, which means we take large data sets, Sir Francis Bacon 101, we take large data sets and we derive principles and patterns out of those large data sets. So let's look at the best athletes on the planet. Let's look at the most successful running programs, coaching programs, sprinting programs. Oh, they all deadlift. Oh, they all have some kind of Olympic lifting variation in there, you know? I saw on, on internet somewhere recently someone was like, I think Brett Bartholomew retweeted it. You know, he's like, look, some coach was saying, we... Yeah, we hang, we go from blocks, we power, we snap. He's like, they're variations, they're not gang affiliations. Have you read his book? Brett? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just bought it. I oh, it's good. It. Oh, yeah. So what Brett has done is his, he said, look at this group of teachers, the biggest group of teachers maybe in the world, strength and conditioning coaches, who don't get any information about how to teach. You know, mm. it's about communication, right? And so not an accident that the best coaches out there are really inspiring really can communicate, have clear goals. They maybe have had some formal training in college. Maybe, maybe they stumbled into it, right? Mm. But he has really codified that and formalized that. And I'm, I'm so proud of what Brett's doing. And more importantly, Brett is about to take that program and put it online so you can teach your coaches scalability. Oh, wow. You have nice. to do it. We, we, we need – why? Because we should always be striving for efficiency in the system. My ability to communicate to my athletes may be the limiting factor. He's on the list to get on the show, so that's really good. That usually yeah. is a limiting factor for most people, is just being mm -hmm. able to communicate. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you can't communicate that to someone, it's absolutely it's worthless. Well, you know, the allegory is that, you know, the way we do one thing is the way everything, mm -hmm. right? But, I mean, you should be reading in all of these other fields around, you know, neuroplasticity and you're reading nutrition and you're learning a behavior and, and – all of that is is going to help your training and mm -hmm. your ability to coach. I mean, we I, I read everything else except training books. I mean, I read training books too because I'm like a deep nerd. But I mean, the idea is like there people are solving the problems to make me a more efficient athlete and coach communicator all the time. You mm -hmm. know, I just picked up the TED Talks book. Like, shoot me in the head. You know, I don't want to do a t TED Talk. I think that's become a meme. You know, my favorite TED Talk is why TED Talks suck. You know, which is, I was like, so meta, so meta. But, um, you know, but those are really the, the essay, the podcast is the new form. And if you can't speak your ideas in a cogent, rational way, then you're not going to be able to communicate in the 21st century. Mm. Mm. Being in fitness as long as you've had, you've seen trends uh, come and go and things that, you know, good information get just blown out of proportion. What do you see – do you have any predictions for some things to look out for? Like, okay, everybody, watch out for this new you know, mobility trend on this. Or is there anything like that that you see right now? Well, you know, I think, I think you know, we're seeing a, finally a normalization of you know, people doing soft tissue work and distracting. Because you know? like, I was like, yeah, it takes 10 minutes a day. What are you doing? You've been doing that for 40 minutes twice a day. Like, stop. You know? <laughs> people made mobilizing a hobby. You know, and that's not where intention was all position transfer. The first, you know, half of that book, first 300 pages about movement theory. The second page, second is about how to get into those better positions. Right. And um, so I think that's I think people are coming back to training. You know, Bella Caroli used to let his athletes, his male athletes um, warm up playing indoor soccer. So his male gymnasts, they just they, they just didn't like the traditional warm up. So they just played soccer and then they were hot and sweaty. Then they did their focus thing and went. I think putting the fun back into it, you know, de simplifying matters. Um, I think we're seeing a normalization of the paleo phase, you know, that, you know, carbohydrates, you don't have to fear always, mm -hmm. you know, the fetishization, the, the worshiping of keto. You know, I think that's a very powerful tool. 
you know, it's hard to have your heart rate at 170 and be totally keto all the time. <laughs> you know, you just can't do that. Carbohydrate, you know, so we're getting, people are starting to live low, train high on carbohydrate, you know, using carbohydrate as a tool again. Like, okay, that makes some sense. Um, you know, I, I think uh, we're getting better at getting back to basics. And I think, unfortunately, basics aren't sexy, but we've got to get sleep. We've got to sleep denser. You know, we've got to learn how to downregulate. I think right now we're caught in this huge depressant stimulant cycling where people are having seven bulletproof coffees and then THC or alcohol or Ambien to go to sleep and it's Adderall in the morning. And, you know, I, I, we're, we're not helping people turn off. We have figured out how many pre-exercise drinks you can take and how many, you know, Red Bulls mm-hmm. you can slam to be ah, your best self. But we've done shit about, you know, chilling out, you know, mm-hmm. downregulating. So, um, you know, the, the tide is going to continue to raise. I think we should all be wary. You know, we we have in our gym for long enough, we see trends. So like we have a lot of athletes who came in massive progress, got really strong and fit, crushed their sports. And then kind of like, I'm looking for the next thing. So they'd go on and they're all back because turns out coaching is the most important thing. So are you in a coached environment? Yes or no. And someone on their phone watching you lift is not coaching. So my best, my best recommendation, and I think you're going to see it more and more, you know, even something like Peloton, right? Training in a group, creating a small environment where you belong to people, mm-hmm. where you show up and, and they know you and they know your tendencies and a coach knows you and knows your name and, can, and knows how you lift and, and you can make progress. That's the relationship human beings are supposed to have. Have you seen that like even from the CrossFit community, uh, more in-home training and more gym setups where they still... Uh, try and recreate that as far as like streaming video or whatever in a group setting. I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen much of that. You know, mm. it's probably it's probably you know the real interesting thing is how, well how do we how do we serve people? You know, mm. if I can't get to the gym or I live in nowhere where there's not a gym near me where I can Olympic lift, what do I do? You know, so there is a need. I'm sure we've got to we've got to again think. You know, we're not elitist. These are the ways that we're solving problems and they're probably, they could help you. Can they, can we, we believe in the home gym. You've got to have a home gym and it doesn't take many pieces of equipment to be in the home gym, you know, do your fancy stuff at the gym, but like, God, for God's sake, have a barbell in your garage, mm-hmm. you know, and on just, just, you know, my, my simple rule for my friends at, the, at home, I'm like, you can't lift off a rack at home. Just don't do it. So if you can't power clean it, you can't front squat it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because if you think that that's the limiting factor to your fitness, having to power clean it before you front squat it, welcome to the game. You mm-hmm. know what yeah. I mean? Right, right. And mm-hmm. on, and, that's old school, man. You know, and it sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a, yeah. that's a real, you know. So, you know, I, I think um, it, making sure that every person can get to a place where they have basic competency. What, what do you mean you're afraid to lift a barbell? We have so many people who've never lifted a barbell who come to our gym still, and they're terrified of it. I'm like, you were failed as a child. You were not loved as a child. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just a, that's just a thing, you know? Like, you're afraid of going up and down yeah. with this thing? Like, you know, I mean, that's just crazy. So, you know, we're getting better. We have a lot of work. Because what's interesting, I think, is we all need to continue to do this, is that that expert who's listening right now, who, you know, a home expert, not a pro, an expert, like, a, a, you know, they do this because they love training. They love to talk about nutrition. They love body composition. They love that stuff. They're the expert and they're the node in their entire community. And that all their whole family asked them about their shoulder pain and how should I eat? And hey, I want to gain some weight. What do I do? You know, there are some core competencies that we all should have. And it, to the fact that the, the matter of that we're having to train and teach such fundamentals to so many people all over again or for the first time in their 20s and 30s really says that we've shit the bed entirely in their development as, as human beings. Horribly. And it's getting worse, man. Kelly, I, I want to make you take a left real quick. Uh, we uh, Before we got on here, 
we are talking a little bit about business. And I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs that uh, listen. And I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, you and your business. And what I want to want to ask you is, what are you currently struggling with right now in business? Uh, feeding the Insta social monster. You know, just, you know, there, what we see is that you don't have to be first in business anymore, especially in the way the world works. You can be 27th and just not add anything to the conversation. You can just rip people off. You know, we got this, um, you know, our voodoo floss, voodoo is a trademark thing, is on the internet. Um, you go to Amazon, type in, you know, voodoo floss, our attorney, our, our patent attorney is like, you know, uh, hey, this guy's using voodoo floss. Like, great, you could, there's floss bands to go for it, but you can't use voodoo floss. And so we gave this person like three months to, you know, sell out your stock, we'll be reasonable. And then we call them up three months later, they're still using voodoo floss. And they're like, well, as soon as I took voodoo off, the website didn't sell. You know, I'm like, well, that's, that sucks. But it turns out there's a lot of people ripping off other people. And we really do, sometimes I personally struggle with the dickhead assholes who are shouting and taking people down because you, you just don't feed the trolls. I mean, people have said that forever. Mm. You know, we always strive to point positive. We like to point at the things that we love. And we just, if you, you know, all roads lead to Rome. But if the only way you can get attention is by throwing some tantrum, shouting at someone else's methodology, you're actually a lie. You're a total, it's a, it, you're bullshit. Mm. And everyone's going to see it eventually. So, mm. you know, I think, you know, the number of ads I see using our stuff and claiming as their own, like the couch stretch. Like, why do you think it's fucking called the couch stretch? Because I did it on my couch. It's not like I inherited the couch stretch and I was like, oh, this is something that's going to solve. That's why it's fucking called the couch stretch. And uh, so people were like, yeah, we use this thing about opening the hip. It's called the couch stretch. And I'm like, mm, where's the attribution? So fitness, people are ripping each other off like motherfuckers. Like they're pretending it's, it's a separate business. It's like saying, well, because I'm doing it with intensity, I can round my back. No, you can't round your back, right? You, at some point, this business has to become like every other thing. Show your work, show your attribution, show your relationships. And, um, you know, I, I think that aside, the business piece, that's, that's, that's always business. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, helping ourselves streamline, simplify, recommunicate. Because now we have all these, these pieces of data about people using our stuff for, you know, a decade. Now means we can get rid of the things that are less effective and repackage and repurpose the things that we know are more effective. So we can give people better bang for the buck. And what are, what are you currently doing right now that you're you're proud of that you've accomplished or that you're doing in business right now? I am happily married to my badass wife. Yeah. <laughs> I spend a ton of time with my kids. Um, no, no, seriously. That, I, no, that's a very the, fucking great statement because I mean, tell you what, most successful entrepreneurs have a hell of a time uh, managing. Well, that. I'll tell you, you know, you. I'm lucky in that the first thing is that my Juliet is my business partner. She's an attorney and um, a two-time world champion, so she's a pretty good athlete, right? And um, great dancer. Uh, but she is the CEO. And so she has a CEO brain. Like she sees things that I can't see and don't give a shit about or didn't even know existed. I'm like, Oh, that's a, wow, that's a good idea. <laughs> and, um, I'm so lucky that I have that. I, I asked for help. You know, she quit her law firm to take over our little fledgling business. And, you know, the fact that it's thriving, she lets me do what I do. You know, we work together as a team. You know, I, the fact that I'm nailing, my wife doesn't sound good. I'm nailing the relationship <laughs> with my wife. Uh, Freudian, quote, Freudian uh, slip right there. Um, <laughs> we'll use that. You know, J-Star, I mean, like I, I talked to a lot of friends and people are like, well, how's it working for you? What are you doing? And I'm like, well, I have this girl named Juliet. Maybe you've heard of her. But um, the fact that we run everything, you know, five years ago, I was on the verge of just burnout because I was traveling so much. 
in startup phase, just like everyone else is in startup phase who's mm-hmm. out there listening. And right, and, and fitness and strength conditioning is no different than the other thing. Where literally I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm not having any fun. My training sucks. I don't see my friends, but I'm working like a motherfucker. And I, like, for the first time in my life, I'm not critically poor. I'm going to be able to, like, pay my mortgage and not stress about that. That's a real powerful thing. But, you know, we had to hit reset because it wasn't sustainable. And we said, okay, let's do this. Let's run everything through one filter. Does this get our family more time together? Yes or no? Because what's the point of training? to spend more time in the gym? What's the point of run, turning on a successful business and doing all the business thing and pulling on the headaches of having what we have, 27 employees, right? So that we can spend more time together as a family so that I can do meaningful work so I can come and hang out with my friends. Like that is the goal. And I don't think you can be an entrepreneur and have as much downtime in the man cave as the other guys, but that's not you anyway, you know? So, but keep in mind what the fucking point is. And the point is to be able to feed yourself in a way that makes sense to you and your family so you can spend time with your family. So that's the most important thing. But there's, I have, we have so much work. There's so much work. We've got another edition of Supple Leopard coming out, which is way better. Oh, hell yeah. Hmm. 3.0. What we've been able to add and, and conceptualize, I think it'll be make a lot more sense to people. You know, I have two other books written already. You know, I just did it like we're, we just laid the foundations for our third book. Um, you know, we, we realized that we just, you know, because we have seen so much data and so many skill sets and so many different groups, you know, and one week, literally last year, I was like teaching 12, you know, 112 year olds volleyball, how to squat and hinge, right. And, and move. And then I was at the NFL combine, you know, so that kind of stuff is happening, which means that I get to see and I can solve problems more efficiently or, or help people solve their own problems more efficiently. So there's no end of work. We're not going away. You know, we're not going away. Excellent, man. Excellent, it's man. it's yeah. a pleasure having you here in our facility. Big fan of your work. All and of I, us have referenced out, you many times. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And what you guys are doing is difficult and important. The, I tend to underestimate sometimes because I'm busy. And I, the only podcast I listen to are the ones that my friends send. You need to listen to this. So I have like my, my friends are like, you need to listen to this. I listen, right? But I just don't have – the podcast daily isn't – you know, Tim Ferriss is a good friend, but mm-hmm. I don't listen to him unless one of my friends – Tim has called me and said, listen to this, or one of my friends has said. Mm-hmm. But it's really important. This is the magazine, the news magazine of the 21st century. This is how we share ideas mm-hmm. in this conversational tone. This is how people understand it's vastly important, and you guys taking it on is a, is a big, big deal. So thank you guys. Well, Everyone who's podcasting out there, we appreciate you. It's a big deal. Much appreciated. Check this out. Go to YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Mind Pump TV. We post a new video every single day. Also, check us out on Instagram, Mind Pump Media. We all have personal pages. Mine is Mind Pump Sal. Justin is Mind Pump Justin. And Adam is Mind Pump Adam. Last thing. I don't know if we're still on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kyle Kingsbury, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's for King's Boo uh, right there. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee 
and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. Mind Pump.